This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today, a draft-oriented podcast because it is about that time of the year, and for the first time in seven, eight seasons, the Raptors have their eye towards a high lottery pick that is actually theirs. This isn't a Jakob Pertl situation. This is a Raptors are missing the playoffs. They're firmly in the lottery. By the looks of it, the seventh best odds and so I'm here with the draft expert, P.D. Webb, who's been on before, who I hope you appreciated because I appreciate immensely. P.D., how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. It's a nice sunny day outside. Uh, I can talk about my favorite subject in the world uh, with uh, a team I've, uh, you know, seemed to have adopted. I'm very excited. What, what makes the these Raptors somewhat of an adopted team for you? Um, I just uh, weirdly found myself following, like, 10% of all of the Raptors fan base and um, they come up a lot in in talking about uh, the draft because of their uh, development staff and, and the really modern way that they've built their team. So I guess there's just been a mutual affinity um, between, you know, my appreciation for the Raptors and and uh, feeling embraced by by the uh, the Raptors community. So, yeah, um, very excited. Perfect. I, I, I suppose that does make sense just because I'm a part of the Raptors community, it does loom large in a lot of the conversations and community that I see, but who's to say if that's the case for a lot of people. And it's cool to see that people that I respect their work, like yourself, revere even to some degree that uh, Toronto looms large for you as well. But first thing we'll talk about, I think, because there's always a chance that the Raptors get really high in the lottery, that they have a, a very good turn of luck, let's say, so is it a top two and then a secondary two? How does the top four, the top three break out? How are you kind of ranking that? Well, let's not say ranking, tiering. I think for the Raptors specifically, it's a top one um, with Cade being the one. Um, not that, like, there are circumstances and there are teams that, that would see Evan Mobley as, as the better solution. Um, but I think that, uh, the way that Cade plays and the way that the Toronto Raptors are built currently, Cade makes the most sense and uh, would be a natural fit to continue this evolution. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then let's Evan Mobley. Let's say let's say the Raptors get between two and five. So that's Mobley, Suggs, 
green and insert one of, you know, Kuminga, Scotty Barnes, whoever, right? That becomes a much larger team building question. Um, that, that leads into more of like who will be on this team next year and is there further tinkerings to be made? Um, so I, I would say that's more of a TBD. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that Mobley makes sense. Green makes sense. Um, Jaden Springer makes sense. Um, there's a lot of different, like because of the Raptors extreme flexibility uh, positionally, there are a lot of ways that you could, to, you could lean that out because they have a, a, uh, a roster that has a, a lot of disparate parts that, that could be, you know, rejiggered depending on, on the, the main organizing talent. Okay, well, we'll get into the team building stuff later and what they've kind of had a proclivity towards choosing in a bit. But let's do the top one then. Just the the cliff notes of Cade Cunningham, why Raptors fans might be excited. I know lots of them know, but for those who aren't and haven't paid much attention to the draft and are hearing this stuff for the first time, what is the pitch for Cade? Cade Cunningham is uh, a six seven six eight point guard uh, with an over seven foot wingspan. Um, he is sort of the prototypical winner. Um, he makes good decisions at every single turn um, to the point that draft play draft uh, analysts were worried that he might try to make the right play too much in college, where he was on a team where he was expected to uh, score uh, the majority of the team's points. He molded his game um, to be more of a scorer. Uh, and, and more of, uh, I would say, like a, a shoot first primary, which isn't his best skill. Uh, we came into the season with his uh, shooting being questioned, and he shot 5.8 threes per uh, 36 and shot 40% on them uh, with a shot that looks very fluid. Shot off the dribble, shot uh, from deep, shot off a little bit of movement. Um, he's a, a strong point of attack player, um, solid but not excellent handle. Um, capable of, of making the right decision at seemingly uh, every possible decision point. Um, defensively, you can slide him around all over. Um, it seems that the thing he enjoys most on a basketball court is making good defensive rotations, um, something that I think Nick Nurse would enjoy very much. Uh, seemingly, he's, he's uh, a guy who's, who's hyper-competitive and, and driven by playing the right style of basketball um, in terms of you know, understanding coverages in terms of executing them perfectly, rotations, uh, closeouts. Like this is a a, a detail driven guy in a in a way that's pretty unusual um, for a big point guard, which is usually guys who who play on a lot of instincts and uh, maybe are a little more like fun. Where Kate Cunningham seems to be like just straightforward, like let's win this game by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. It's the shooting is definitely a really interesting wrinkle. Is that how he was able to develop into one of the best. By by the numbers, one of the better shooters in college basketball, especially on the pull up, I think is is very interesting. Especially just to do it at that level, at that speed, to go from a guy, as you say, who was maybe not noticed as a shooter and wasn't that wasn't something he was projected as to do at the college level, something he'd be building on for a while, and then all of a sudden it's there and mixed in with you know the defensive awareness or defensive feel for to be a to use a better term. But okay, so Cade obviously. Very, very good and incredibly valuable player. He looks to be one of the most affecting players over the next however many years. If he can translate it, fantastic. The Raptors get top one, pick Kate. Now, when it comes to like scoring guards and the Raptors, 
in recent years, just picking at kind of the back end of the draft, I think they were trying to hit on market inefficiencies, whereas they're trying to pick guys who had easily translatable skills, guys who had already shown a modicum of success in college, and they didn't care that they were 21, 22 coming out of the draft. And then OG Ananobi, obviously, with the, the torn ACL as well. So that's a really interesting wrinkle of the Raptors is that they've clearly had an idea that they can take guys who don't have great jump shots, that they can develop that in-house, that they're okay with taking older players. And now they're at a point where they are lacking a little bit of shot-making pop or event creation and rim pressure. Are there any players in the middle back end of the lottery who intrigue you? I know Jaden Springer and then at the very top end, guys like Jalen Green, they alleviate some of those woes. Yeah, I mean, you you hit on two major ones. Um, I mean, if you're thinking of off-ball players, James Booknight from from USC is probably going to be available in that like 8 to 14 range, depending on how the draft lottery plays out. Um, and he's, uh, you know, uh, has a Zach Levine-esque athleticism. Um, with his ability to get downhill and then make something special happen at the rim when he does get downhill. Um, uh, a, a lithe two-guard who's who's capable of contorting himself into small spaces um, and and rising over the top if the, if the defense sells out on on the ability to put pressure on the rim. Um, Boatnet's shooting percentage wasn't fantastic this year, shooting around 30%, but it's a it's a projectable jumper, and, and, and I do believe in the long term to get above league average. Um, but rim pressure and uh, transition rim pressure are going to be the calling cards for him, along with just shot making in general. Okay, and a guy like Jaden Springer, what what are your thoughts on him coming out of Tennessee? Yeah, uh, Jaden Springer is uh, is I would say my guy in this draft. Um, the player that I have the largest disagreement, both from like broad consensus and also like draft coverage consensus. Um, you'll see him mocked anywhere from like. I would say seven to 25 and I would be very comfortable taking him in the top five. Um, he's one of the youngest players in this draft. Uh, and I believe he's the youngest American player, um, who, who will be end up being selected. Um, he doesn't shoot a lot of threes, uh, only like two and a half per 36, but he shot 44% on them. Um, and he is, uh, a defensive bulldog who, uh, like just strongs his way to the rim, um, despite being uh, only about like six four. Um, I would view him as more of like a small wing than a out and out guard, um, because he can defend multiple positions um, using the strength and, and center of gravity to to dislodge bigger ball handlers. Um, gets to the rim, gets fouled, forty four percent free throw attempt rate, which is pretty good for uh, the system that he played in. He's a two foot finisher which makes it a little more difficult to be a primary. But in on a team where you have uh, Pascal, OG, um, Fred, there's always going to be a team, uh, a, a defense in rotation responding to to uh, an attempt to drive. So I think that this would be a, if they do fall, this would be like the person I would be most excited about them picking, um, not just because of their famed development program, but also like it makes a lot of sense to their roster and the things they've historically shown to be good at. Um, I was talking to a person and described him as guard-sized OG Ananobi um, in terms of how he plays basketball. And uh, yeah, to have guard-sized OG Ananobi and, regu- and you know, regular-sized OG Ananobi. Not the same level of scarves I've seen, but that you know, all rookies can develop. Maybe he, he adds to the scarf game as he gets older. 
Um, but I think that, that would be a, a really, really good fit. DeLon Wright, he, he told a story about how DeMar and Kyle took him shopping. Well, DeLon Wright and Norm Powell. This is Norm Powell's story. He went with DeLon. But about how they took them shopping and said, get whatever you want. And that was completely alien to Norm. So maybe Jaden Springer, somebody on the team will take him. Maybe even OG for scarf shopping, something to look forward to. But I think it was Mike Prada in his newsletter talked about how Jimmy Butler gets himself in gets himself into positions to utilize his lower body strength and how that's one of the major discrete skills. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, the major discrete skill that drives a lot of what he does in the middle of the floor. Does Jaden Springer have anything going on? Maybe not akin to Jimmy Butler, but what are the discrete skills that kind of drive his game? Yeah, I mean, he he has a similar low center of gravity, and they're both like built like NFL running backs, where just like it's all uh, thighs and calves. Um, and so he's really capable of getting under uh, ball handlers um, defensively. Uh, that famously he uh, played uh, uh, Jalen Suggs extremely well um, in a, a, a youth game, and he's the only person to that I saw that really really gave Cade trouble. Um, despite being a, almost a year younger than both of them um, in, in terms of age. Uh, so, like, he's always been able to dislodge ball handlers defensively. And on offense, while his handle uh, is a bit funky, he does sort of have that same, like, two-footed stiltedness, that, like, the timing that, that Jimmy Butler has developed. And I think that as he gets more flexible and, and as teams respond to the shooting, there's going to be the same sort of, like, pro hops and, like, weird floaters that, you know... Um, Eastern Conference uh, fans have grown to hate so much. Jimmy Butler throwing up this like weird looking uh, crap and then it just goes in time and time and time and time again. Well, that's that's encouraging to hear. I think Robel brought this up, a mutual friend. Robel talked about how Jaden Springer categorically funky finishes, as you talked about, but kind of similar to Kyle Lowry and, and Jimmy Butler is that you're – those, as you say, pro hop, but you're kind of bursting through the seam, the second level of defense to get to the rim and that kind of like gather, busting through the line like a running back, hop step, getting to spaces on the floor that you kind of have no business being in and maintaining the balance all the same. And and just the ability to finish uh, strong in there is one of the, the Raptors don't really have that in a guard outside of Kyle Lowry, who's aging and who knows how long that lasts, but he, he is getting older in a league that typically is not super welcoming to older players. So that's really interesting. His teammate, Keon, what do you think of him? Um, Keon is, is a little bit further away. I think that Keon is uh, like this year's guard hyper athlete. Um, I would say like he is like the similar style of athlete as, as Jalen Harris um, in terms of how they move. Um, Keon is a better athlete than Jalen Harris, which is pretty remarkable. Um Keon's jumper is still is, is still far away. They were you know um, teammates of Tennessee, and, and Keon both doesn't shoot, and when he does shoot, there was a very low percentage, and there's going to need to be a a a real rebuild. Um, another two foot leaper. Um, the difference being the like wall. Um, Springer is a like strength to power, so like he he gets downhill using his strength, and then will will power up. Keon just needs is is just downhill to get space and has to load on two feet, um, which is. For an on-ball player, historically, at first getting guys been a little bit more difficult because any bump will, will dislodge them. Um, where if you know you're built like Kyle Lowry, it doesn't matter if you jump off one foot or two foot, like nobody's taking a spot that you want away from you. Um, 
I I think that the passing is good, but not excellent. Like uh, seeing him as a like a, a secondary playmaker, somebody who uh, attacks a tilted defense, gets downhill. Um, if there's a big man, like you put you dunk him through the basket. Like that's sort of the the general profile of, of Keon Johnson. Um, I think that he's uh, a, a bigger swing in terms of team building um, because there's uh, a lot of skills that are 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 hinted at or or could be developed in time. But right now, uh, it's much more of a projection than than what shows up on on. Uh, on tape consistently. Okay, so let's let's pretend for a second that the Raptors are very interested in a very big swing that they, for whatever reason, are going to continue to deny Pascal Siakam lots of pick and roll possessions, and OG Ananobi isn't going to get much of them either. That they're very much stuck on just giving the guards lots of possessions and not exploring anything else in this the way that they're you know building their team, and so they want a big event creation guy or somebody who could grow to be that from this draft in, let's say, between number four and number 12. Keon Johnson sounds like a big swing, but is there anybody else in there who you might think of? Yeah, um, I would say Josh Giddy would would be another big swing. Um, Australian point guard, uh, 6'8", but with a, a negative wingspan. Um, he's had a very strong last two months um, in in Australia, having I think three triple doubles this month. Um, he is in a lot of ways the player that people thought Lamelo was in terms of like being very, like a wild uh, a wild decision maker um, with struggles on defense, um, whose shot is sort of there but but sort of not. Um, Melo wasn't like far more shifty off the dribble than people gave credit for. Um, when and if you know consistently you watch the games, you saw that it was really difficult for people to stay in front of him. He just wasn't strong enough to hold those positions. Um, Giddy's handle is is very much reductive, um, but he is capable of operating and getting to spots and making um, extremely advanced reads when he gets to those spots. It's just the need to develop a handle, and uh, the thing that I've come to associate most with um, with the Raptors is is their work with with Pascal's handle which is uh, maligns him, it, it may be for, for his reliance on the spin move, is so much better than it was in New Mexico State. Um, and, you know, the, whether that's that's his off-season off work or, or the work with the team, um, there has been a consistent uh, development of handles for bigger players, and I feel like this would be a, a pretty good marriage. Um, Giddy's shooting numbers are uh, he shot uh, 43, 31, 70 um, for field goal, three point and, and free throw. Um, it's a little disjointed. Um, there's, there's a bit of a, a weird elbow out, but averaging seven rebounds and seven assists as an 18 year old playing against grown men in a league that is very much tilted against skinny guys. Um, it's really hard to get a foul call in Australia, basically. Um, a, uh, an American I know who, who played there called it rugby, uh, rugby on hardwood. Um, and he's, capable of dealing with that physicality, even though he doesn't have the explosiveness or the, the physical strength to, to finish through contact. Um, he'd be a big swing because like, if you can add the athleticism, if you can add um, the handle and, and fix the shooting a little bit, um, he's probably one of the three best passers in the class that has a lot of really, really good passers um, and not necessarily needing him to be like an hundred percent primary because Pascal is going to have reps because OG is going to have reps um, probably makes it easier to develop him. Okay. That's, that's insightful. Is there, so when we're talking about passers, does, is Josh Giddy a guy who can get downhill? 
the event creation of it all, like the Raptors, they, they, they pass quite a bit. Like Fred Van Vliet, he'll take the screen, he'll get to the nail, and he'll pop it out to the corner. He passes out of drives at a really high rate. But as far as guys who are going to take it all the way to the rim and make teams feel like they have to, have to, have to defend the rim because the Raptors don't bring a lot of pressure there. Keon Johnson, is he a guy like that? Jaden Springer, Josh Giddy, among those, is there a fit, quote unquote, that you would like to see in Toronto? I think it. I think it's Springer because like Keon can get downhill the best out of the three, but he doesn't pass as well out of those. Like he can create those events, but doesn't capitalize on on them. Um, Giddy is the best passer of the three by it by a huge stretch, but he for right now is the most is is one of the least explosive ball handlers. So he gets to a lot of his situations by being bigger, by being stronger, by understanding angles better than. Um, than, than some guards um, in, in Australia, and he will throw people open. So he's capable of, of seeing where the play is going to be and throwing a uh, daring, might be a good word, pass to to a cutter who doesn't even realize that they're open yet or you know hasn't even started cutting and he'll put the weight on it. Um, so to me, Springer is is sort of the, the Goldilocks uh, where he can get downhill and he can make good reads and um, being the youngest of the three um, – there's a like being sort of the the safest of the three, and also possessing the skills at at, at a youth level um, makes him to me the best fit, and somebody that I would have on a Raptors specific board much higher than a, basically everybody else in the draft community. Interesting. Well, you you know that uh, I did a podcast with Evan Zaucha talking about feel as far as proactive and reactionary passing. How would you categorize if you're comfortable those three players? Um, so I would say Giddy would be like excellent or, you know, whatever term you like above excellent. Um, so much so that at times he throws passes that like I don't understand what he was trying to do because it was, you know, some five-dimensional chess. Um, then I would say that that Springer is like good, very good, sort of on that border. Um, the, the Tennessee spacing makes it difficult to uh, – figure out exactly where people are with that because they were so often so rarely placed in like well-spaced circumstances where the defense was put in more difficult rotations, like higher leverage situations. Um, and then Keon, uh, I would say has okay to, to solid feel. Um, Keon had a, a really late rise through the RSCI ranks and, um, this is his like first like he played the Adidas circuit, which is not uh, w- which has high level talent, but it's not as as deep as the other um, high school circuits. So this was sort of like his first consistent uh, high level basketball um, at, on a national scale, and you can kind of see that he's still figuring out like how you know high major Division one rotations speed is and, and how length affects certain shots for him. Um, so I think that he's still learning and that there's there's room for his field to rise. But as of right now, that, that's where I would have him. Okay, let's change gears for a little bit then. Two guys who are not like similar, but that are different than the aforementioned three. Kai Jones and Scotty Barnes. Pick whoever you want, but what are your thoughts? Okay, uh, I'll start with Kai Jones uh, because he is probably the best mover in the class. Um it is unnatural for 6'11 people uh, to um, move as well as him. Um, like, I think that if you uh, 
were to, like it's it's sort of superhuman that he's able to flip his hips and change directions and and get around. Like Pascal is is a good mover, but you also see that like Pascal's a very tall human being, and at times it's laborious. He's able to get there, but it never looks like suave. Like he's like, oh yeah, you got to that spot. Like we've made this rotation with Kai. Like if you were to zoom out enough, you would think he was like a five eleven person with how well he's able to move. Um, shot blocker. Um, at Texas is a difficult evaluative context under Shaka Smart because they didn't ask him to make any decisions. Uh, he was a play finisher where he would use that athleticism to to try to get up and dunk on people um, or just shoot. Um, and I think the jumper is uh, the. Wasn't taken that often, only two times per, per 36, but he shot it at 38%, which is really positive. Um, so the feel on offense is hard to parse because he just wasn't put in that many situations where he was asked to to read a, a, a set defense. But there are moments where you can see like the, the Giannis, Pascal, Siakam, the last step where he's outside the paint on, on step one of a Euro step and step two, he's standing under the rim. Um, and that bodes well. Just if you can craft a, a little more um, dribble moves, a little more of of the the softball skills onto him, you have a player who's really capable of attacking downhill um, with a jumper, and that and can switch on defense, and that is an extremely valuable playoff player. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Scotty Barnes, what are your thoughts on him? Okay, Scotty Barnes is very interesting. I think Scotty Barnes requires the most contextual fit of any player in this draft. Um, he's my favorite player um, to watch because he is um, uh, a defensive psychopath. Like he just wants to compete on defense. He just wants to make rotations. He just wants to like beat teams to death with deflections and steals and just smother them. Um, it's really wonderful. Uh, he's built like uh, like a WWE wrestler, just uh, all thighs and arms. Um, super long arms. I think he's like a plus seven or plus eight, uh, standing at six as standing at six, eight. He's a forward who kind of has to be a center at on offense, but you don't want him to play center on defense. So he's, he's a weird cross match player, good passing instincts. He played point guard at Florida state full time. Um, he can, he's good at making uh, reactive passing. So he understands where the defense needs to be. But he doesn't have a handle to create that advantage himself. So you would ideally want to put him in a situation where the advantage is already created. He can seize upon it. Um, so if you have a five that can uh, invert the offense, that can stretch out, that probably would, would be able to initiate offense. So like a Carl Anthony Towns or something like that. Um, Scotty makes a lot of sense. Um, the reason why he does need so much of a a structural fit is that the shooting has never turned a corner. Uh, I've been watching Scotty for about five years now, and he's never really put it together in terms of volume or, um, or percentage. He, as a primary ball handler, um, only took 2.4, three points, three pointers a game, making 27% of them. Um, he just passes up a lot of shots that he could take. Um, and he is not, he's very good. He's a good horizontal athlete and, uh, is obviously a really high motor guy. But he does not have any kind of vertical pop. Um, if he were much shorter, he would have many. Like if his arms were even two or three inches shorter, I don't think he would have half as many dunks. Um, it's mostly just like getting a couple inches off the ground and putting those uh, forever arms into the air. Um, it, it does limit his on-ball uh, utility, just not having any kind of vertical pop. But it also limits him as a defender because he's best 
as a cleanup guy or as walling off before they get to the room, but you can't use him as a primary room protector, which again makes the fit more difficult because how many guys are there who um, can space an offense t- to pair him with in a front court that can space an offense out and create a lot of gravity for him to operate within, but also on the other end can do primary room protection stuff. So you need a lot of understanding of how best to use him and what lineups to play him in. And I don't necessarily see that context playing out in, in Toronto. Um, I think they have uh, uh, enough hesitant shooters to add a, a really hesitant one and have it make sense. So between those two, I would probably take Kai. Um, Kai makes more sense um, because I think you could play him at the five more um, where playing Scotty at the five around Pascal or OG, like at the four or even with both of them um, would be a, a very hilarious defensive lineup. The teams would probably score, you know, 40 points uh, uh, per game. if You just left them all out there, but there would be a, a 1970s style offense. It, it would be a problematic offensive fit. Okay. Um, let's clean up the, you know, let's say the top 10. So, Kuminga, Moody, Mitchell, and let's put Garuba in there as well. Um, we'll start with Kuminga. What do you think of him? Okay, Kuminga is um, a theoretical player in that, like a lot of times, like what people are seeing is the thing that is like the, the version of him in the future. Um, because right now he's a lot of tools that doesn't isn't necessarily bound together. Um, he's a six eight. Uh, hyper, super athletic guy. Uh, I think that he's best as a four um, because he doesn't necessarily have the handle to to play the like the three and initiate offense. Um, I would categorize him as a low feel creator. Um, he has never had a a real physical match for his skills. Even in like the G League, it's just difficult to find six eight people who can close down the space he can create with like setbacks or, or anything like that, which it can encourage him to take really tough shots. Um, he, his, his shooting splits in the G league again, only 13 games, but averaging 32 minutes a game, uh, were 38, 24, uh, 62. Um, not particularly encouraging. The most damning thing isn't, isn't the, the true shooting percentage or the three point rate. It's the fact that he was, you know, basically one of the best athletes in the G league and his free throw attempt rate was 25. Um, which speaks to the inability of getting to spots where teams have to foul you. Um, you know, he's he's super athletic in, in transition or, or when he can have enough space, but he's not um, the type of athlete who will who can, you know, take a half step, get bumped, and finish throw. Um, I think that's mostly handle. Um, but the handle in conjunction with the passing, um, you know, basically averaged uh, the same assistant turnover um, or had a one-to-one assist turnover ratio. Which isn't terrible, but he also like was not asked to to do a lot of uh, passing, and and most of the assists that he has are you know one more to an open shooter, rather than any uh, real uh, pick and roll reads. Um, to me, he's uh, like the the guy with the most wide variety of of outcomes, and I think people attach themselves to like oh yeah, guys who have this particular uh, athletic profile and can do some of the things that are present in his highlights. Um, you know, those guys, you know, you can look at that and see Jason Tatum. Um, but when you watch the the games, it's uh, there's less of that than you would hope. And applying the shot making um, on a game to game basis and just getting easy looks for himself and for his team, it isn't really present. And Moses Moody, who is, I guess, if you go to, I can't remember where it was. I think NBA draft.net has him mocked to the Raptors currently. 
Yeah. Um, Moses Moody is like the closest thing to a pure three and D player um, in this draft. Um, he is uh, funny enough, a, a teammate of, of Scotty Barnes and Kate Cunningham in high school on what I would say is the best high school team of all time. Um, Moses Moody is uh, a guy who takes a lot of threes and makes a lot of threes. Um, another truly wild wingspan. I think it's above plus eight at six, five is what a six, six is what he's listed at now. Um, huge free throw rate. He is, uh, the heir to the Jamal Crawford three point and one. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a prospect better at kicking their legs out to get fouled and making the shot. Um, that's honestly like where half of his free throw attempts come from. Um, the jumper is like still has some perfections. There's been a long-term concern about his balance. Um, he doesn't necessarily do a fantastic job handling contact. He's, he's on the skinny side. He's a strong guy, but he's not, um, you know, he doesn't have a, a particularly wide base. Um, you know, guys like OG Pascal, who a little thicker in the legs can handle a, a wider variety of defensive assignment. Um, I think that with Moody, you're just getting defensive rotations. You're getting closeouts. Um, he's a little bit of a passer, not much. He had flashes of initiation, but that wasn't a thing he was particularly asked to do at Arkansas. Um, I think that the team building idea on Moody is that like he's the guy who you know exactly what you're going to get from him, which is shooting um, the ability to, to play swarming defense um, and just really long arms. And if he can do more than that, then you know you're you're building towards a, a drilled pass shoot player. But he, on a good team, this is the sort of player that they're having to just always be a lot of. Davion Mitchell. Uh, I know Raptors fans. There's like a, a sect of them that are kind of over short point guards and or short guards at all which you know who, who's to say if there's a limit on how many of those you can have on a team but what are your thoughts on him yeah um Davion Mitchell every year we have uh, a guy who like wins himself into into the draft lottery um going to Baylor winning a national championship um taking a huge jump as as a shooter uh in his junior year um will do a lot of things for your draft stock um I tend to see the three-point percentage is a bit of a fluke he was not seems a or he was not a, a, a particularly positive shooter in either of his two seasons before this one and then this year on 4.7 attempts he made 45 percent of his threes um i tend to see that as an outlier because he's only a 64 percent free throw shooter um on on small attempts um i'm i'm a believer that that volume broadly is, is the best representation of how good of a shooter you are and if you're shooting 47 percent or 45 percent from three you should be taking as many threes as possible um I think that like Mitchell is probably starting to fall down to a more reasonable spot where like he, he will uh, be used better. I think seeing him as a primary um, is unreasonable to me. Um, not that he's a bad player. It's just that uh, players with single year three point jumps um, backed by winning are probably going to fall a little bit more to down to their level in the NBA. Um, and I don't necessarily see the same team building idea here on the team where you also have like Fred it's like the defense is going to be very helpful, but I just don't, I don't see this as like, unless you assume that this team is, is simply like just when it gets back to Toronto is going to be, you know, a top three seed in the East. And you just want to add a little more of a, you know, an older player. Davion is 22 going to be 23 very soon. Um, I got an older guy who can just produce in the playoffs. Um, and you know, uh, is physically strong enough to to handle the pressures of the playoffs. That makes sense to me in in theory. I just think that this draft has a lot of fun wing upside players, and I I don't think that the Raptors are 
in that top three spot just off the rip. Okay. And Garuba and let's do Trey Mann as well. Okay. Uh, Garuba is very, very, very fun. Um, we went from a guy who was boosted by winning and uh, in, in Mitchell to a guy who was probably hurt by winning and Usman Garuba. Um, he plays for Real Madrid. He's uh, a youth prodigy, basically been on the, the NBA radar since he was 14. Um, 6'8", power forward slash maybe wing question mark. Um, another uh, very stocky uh, ripped guy at, at, at 230. Um, and I think 230 might be a little bit uh, on the light side. Um, he is a more versatile defender to me than Scotty Barnes. I think that in time he can defend wings and do everything except like the, the biggest of fives. Um, a better athlete than Barnes, despite uh, while having, you know, a somewhat similar frame. I think he's like a plus six in the wingspan department. Um, his issue is that he played on a team that, you know, is a pretty playoff team in the NBA. And in Europe, young players are expected to do the role that suits the team best, uh, especially in their draft year, um, rather than like sh- working on them, exploring the studio space and developing their talents. So Garuba was basically never asked to dribble. And I think of him as a wing long term because he has a lot of really interesting uh, flashes of, of, of passing and, and understanding. But he's basically been a power forward his whole life playing, you know, at a for for a professional team since he was 17 years old. Um, three point rate is 38 percent, but he also just like doesn't shoot anything other than threes or layups um, because his role is to to either attack or close out or swing the ball. Um I think Garuba is fun. I think that he would be fun in the, in the defensive sense in the same way that, that Scotty would. But this is another player who needs reps. And if you're going to take him, I, I would want him to be put in like the 905 for a little bit um, to sort of figure out what he can do with bigger reps and, and, and a bigger creation burden just to see what could be shook, shook out. Um, the jumper needs some work, though he's, had, he's come alive a little bit um, uh, in the last month of, of the Real Madrid season. Interesting guy. Uh, I don't know if the Raptors are the best developmental context for him um, because they, they have a glut of, of interesting you know, combo forwards who can slide between multiple positions. And I would simply just want Usman to, to play a little freer search situation early. Um, but definitely a guy that I, I really like in this draft. Um, and then Trey Mann is... A, Trey Mann is a creator type, um, probably the nicest handle in this in this draft. Uh, I'd say one of the nicest handles. I, I, I think there are two. Uh, now that I think about it, two that I might take over him. Um, he has the reputation for being a shooter, uh, but this is his. This season was just his best season as a shooter. Um, I think that reputation might be a little bit more about the type of shots he takes rather than the type of shots he makes. Um, his his shooting splits for the season were forty six forty. 83. Um, the concern with Trey Mann is the feel level. Um, I I think that there is a want to see a player who, uh, you know, has shown extreme shooting versatility, uh, loves to take off the dribble threes, can take shots off movement, very deep range. Um, and then you, you pair that with his handle and you think, okay, this is, you know, a guy who can have primary duties. And, I think that he struggles to to read directions of defenses. I think that he can struggle to to make the appropriate move at the appropriate time. Um, it's sort of the curse of having a really nice handle is you 
tend to want to overuse it. Um, and there are times where a dribble to the left is open and he'll, you know, go in and out right, snatch back, and then eventually go to the left, but it doesn't feel like there's a good process there. Um, this would be this would be more of a combo guard uh, style usage for him early because of, of the passing concerns and, and the, the reading floor concerns, um, which I like I think can work with with the Kyle Lowry that exists now, but in the in a world where Kyle Lowry no longer plays for the Raptors, I'm not certain how that context going forward past the rookie year, past the past the the second year would work for Trey Mann. Um, to me, the, the a Raptors player that or a player I would like the Raptors to draft is one that can play a smaller role with Kyle on the floor and then also be sort of training for Kyle's role and, and Kyle's usage um, for a world when Kyle leaves. Okay. So let's do, we'll discuss like trading down and especially since you like Jaden and Springer and, you know, especially with, you know, where he's mocked, there's like between, what would you say, like five and 17, 18, there's a lot of movement just on how people are placing guys. But there is a reasonable percentage that the Raptors get uh, the fourth pick, let's say. So let's do Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs. Who do you like better in the context of the Raptors and why? Um, I would probably take Jalen Green um, because Jalen Green does fits like Suggs has a more uh, overall balance game. I would say he can pass, he can shoot. Um, you can throw him on a, a wide variety of defenders, but he also has a handle concern and doesn't necessarily put like outrageous pressure on the rim. He puts solid pressure on the rim, but he is not um, going to cause the defense to be in rotation just because he has the ball in his hands. Jalen Green does exactly that. Um, I think Jalen Green is a better shooter long-term. Um, I think that his role is is more straightforward um, in how he would be used in this team. Uh, there are concerns about his free throw rate. It was only 17% in, in the G League. He's on the skinnier side. That's obviously something that has to be built up in time. But he took a, a huge variety of shots, a lot of off-the-dribble threes, and shot 36% um, from an NBA line, which is impressive. Um, 82% from the free throw line when he did get to the line, which is very good. Um, and he, he has one of the best first steps in this draft. Just the opportunity to, to swing it to him on the weak side, and he's going to have two feet in the paint. Um, on this Raptors team, which does have a need for that, that seems like a, a hand-in-glove fit for the, the current build of this team. So if you're thinking, okay, can we add a player that will be able to contribute um, as we tinker this team toward the playoffs now that the, we're out of the fake season, now that we're out of Tampa, like Jalen Green, if that is your conception of this team, Jalen Green, to me, is the, is the perfect fit for that circumstance. And when we're talking about Jalen Green, is there an expectation – what do you view his ceiling as? Because ceiling is uh, obviously a big part of drafting guys. Um, I mean, I think that you can get him into like a, a, a primary who takes threes off the dribble, um, who is capable of shifting a defense. And like, I think that because of the, the other like stars and, and creators that are on this team, um, you can build some of the passing reads out. Um, he's, he's a solid passer. Um, maybe like a notch below Trey man. Um, but if you're using him as a secondary or as like he, his main job is to, to get two feet in the paint, um, the passing rates get a lot easier. So I think that like seeing him as, as a, a, a primary with maybe a little slightly lesser, uh, passing burden, but you know, more expectation of, of shooting off the bounce. Um, that, that seems like a good, uh, a good ceiling outcome for, for this roster build. Okay. And let's say Jalen green goes three, 
would you be happy if you're the Raptors if you get Suggs at four? Yeah, I mean, Suggs is not a bad player. Uh, Suggs, is, Suggs is a good return for this team. Um, you know, you're going to have to adjust roles accordingly. Um, I think that there's going to be a probably a bigger burden for OG handling the ball in that circumstance. Um, I think that Suggs would raise the floor of, of this team just because he does so much well at 6'4", and you can use him between the one and the two. Um, you can probably have him handle the ball more in Fred lineups so that Fred can do off-ball stuff. Um, and and then, you know, but the, the downhill concerns are still there. He still has the struggle with the handle. Um, he still has some, some movement skill problems that uh, he's very upper body, like heavy in the way that he moves. Um, and it can, it can cause problems for him when he has to use like stop start athleticism, when he has to wiggle his, his way out of, uh, you know, small ball handling situations. Hopefully the floor is spaced enough that he doesn't have to get into too many of those, but there are, um, I don't think that it's just a perfect fit. I think it's a, a very good selection, but it's going to require some, some roster building to put him in a, a, from where the roster is now. Not that that's impossible, just that like from this current roster situation, you know, before free agency, before the season ends, before the draft, I have some small concerns about it. Okay. And so if like, obviously if anybody's been paying attention to this conversation, it seems like Jaden Springer is somebody you like a lot. And it, but it also seems that like, as far as guys fitting in and talent level that there's an, Nobody is interchangeable, but if you zoom out, there's an interchangeability between quite a few of these guys and what you might expect and ceiling. Context, obviously, is very important. But the Raptors, let's say they're at like seven or eight. Is that somewhere where you think you could get risky and try and trade back and still get a guy like Jane Springer? Are you confident in their ability to draft, like let's say, like a top eight pick? in the between 12 to 16, is that something that they should look at? Or do you just grab the guy you really like when, when you have your pick? I generally believe in grabbing the guy that you have at your pick. Um, okay. Because like, I think that while there is an, an, an impulse to want to trade down, like, you know, there could be somebody who just wants just as badly to trade up. And like, I think that if it's like, uh, we drafted, you know, the player we wanted eighth versus we drafted him 10th and got a second round pick in 2026 or whatever. Like history doesn't really smile upon the latter. Just like, did you get your guy is the most important thing. And if you're right, like we generally tend to forget the other stuff. Um, I also think that like teams should swing more in draft. So if you believe that, you know, this team needs somebody who gets downhill, like the best player getting downhill in this draft is Sharif Cooper. Um, if you, if you're at eight and, you know, Sharif Cooper is, you know, it's going to go 16, just take him eight. Um, the only time I would say that if, you know, you're deciding between a first and second round grade on somebody, then like the contracts come into play. But I generally just prefer teams take their guy unless they know for a fact that they're going to slip because of the team needs and, and general trade atmosphere. Um, to me, the risk isn't broadly worth it. But if, you know, you have a guarantee that the players are going to be picked, you know, in a um, like Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum draft a type switch, like that makes sense. But if you trade down too much, you, you open yourself up to the risk that, the player that you like and, just, and think is one of the best players in the draft that somebody else may have the same inkling and can move the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like that's um, good enough for the first round. You brought up the second round, which we'll be discussing next Friday for you listener 
you'll be listening to it next Saturday and listening to this this Saturday. So, PD, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Thank you so much for having me. And before we get out of here, plug, plug, plug away, sir. Where should the okay. people be reading you and all that? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Above the Break 3. Um, uh, there is a link to my Patreon um, where all of my draft breakdowns are free. Um, if you have a couple bucks, throw them. If, if possible, it's greatly appreciated. If not, uh, read to your heart's content. Um, I've started working through the 2021 uh, Wings, which is where I spend most of my time. And uh, this year I've added a film uh, component where I, uh, once I finish a breakdown, get an analyst, a journalist, uh, a person in the basketball Twitter sphere and talk through a game um, on YouTube. Um, we do it live on Twitch and then upload it to YouTube later. So we've done Rocco Precaution, uh, Usman Garuba, who we talked about, Josh Getty, who we talked about. Um, those are up on YouTube. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitch, it's twitch.tv PD underscore web. Or just type in "Let's Watch Film" and then the name of the player on YouTube. Um, I feel like they're good productions, and we work real hard on them. Okay, and listener, cannot co-sign it enough. All that stuff will be linked in on Raptors Republic, and probably if you're getting this through Twitter, it'll be on my Twitter under this tweet and all that stuff. So, PD, one last time, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Okay, and listener, thanks for tuning in. But whether you got into it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day. See you next week. And goodbye. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.